the Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh my God, that's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome into the Action Network podcast. We are presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Brendan Glasheen, your host, with Brandon Anderson and Jill Gallant. We're all at Action Network. Brandon and Jill, two of our very best that cover the NFL at Action Network. Today's episode, week two, NFL recap. We'll also have our Monday Night Football preview, two games to get to on Monday night. Also, our hot read, look ahead to week three. Just after midnight on the East Coast, Sunday Night Football wraps up. Packers-Bears, 13 games to recap. Some wild comebacks today in that (laughs) 1 o'clock hour and in the 4 o'clock hour. I may add, by the way, I am coming to you from Connecticut. I was just uh, by Mark Davis, who is the owner of the Vegas Raiders, also the owner of the Las Vegas Aces, WNBA champion Las Vegas Aces. Point being, I saw Mark Davis before he went back to his hotel room before his team fumbled and then Arizona scored a defensive touchdown to win. We'll get to that game, but I just thought to myself, what in the world is that dude thinking right now as he boards his plane, <laughs> screaming, whatever? Anyway, we're going to recap all 13 games today. So let's not waste any time. Miami, Baltimore, quite the doozy. Brandon Anderson, this game felt like it was done early. <laughs> Lamar absolutely goes off. Miami plus three and a half, but the Dolphins win outright. Mike McDaniel's got that crew believing down in Miami. Final score from Baltimore, 42-38 Dolphins win. Yeah, this was a wild one. I, I was already to put this game on ice. You know, third quarter, Lamar Jackson busts one loose for a 79-yard touchdown run. The dude had 210 passing yards on 11 completions in the first half, three touchdowns. I have my Lamar MVP case. We're all bundled up and ready to go. And then it's like, oh, okay, Miami threw a long one. Oh, all right, it's getting a little closer. Oh, well, you know, they're three and a half point favorites. We'll see the, you know, the Ravens are up 21 in the fourth quarter. It's 35 to 14 in the fourth quarter. And then it just went crazy. And Tua just started like lighting up downfield. Jalen Waddle one play, Tyree kill the next play. This is, if you are a Dolphins fan, everything that you dreamed could happen with these guys, with this speed on this team, this was it. This was everything We had in the fourth quarter alone, the Dolphins had 266 yards, 12.7 yards per play. They had completions of 33, 48, and 60 just in the fourth quarter. Tua finishes with six touchdowns, 469 yards. Tyree Kill, 11, 190, and a pair of touchdowns. Jalen Waddle, Jill, you got him on your anytime touchdown. (laughs) 11, 171, and two touchdowns. Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews, a measly 100 yards and a touchdown for the Ravens. Nobody cares about them anymore. We had 1,000 yards of offense in this game, 11 touchdowns. The Ravens averaged 8.8 yards of play and lost the game somehow. This was the wildest stat to me. Next-gen stats. So we know that Miami has these crazy speedy receivers just stretching the field like mad. From next-gen stats, Ravens defensive backs in this game traveled on passing plays 
6,131 yards trying to defend these crazy, speedy Dolphins receivers. And by the end of the game, they looked fried. They looked absolutely exhausted. And Miami was just running roughshod over them, came all the way back. Mike McDaniel has to be one of the front runners for coach of the year right now. Dolphins are one of four 2-0 teams. So, man, we saw the best that we could from both of these teams. We just didn't see it for the whole game. That's a doozy of a game. And if you thought that one was good, Jets-Browns, my, my, in Cleveland. Jets win. Jets are a a six-and-a-half-point dog. (laughs) 31-30, your final score. Joe Gallant, before Brandon joined us in our Zoom call, the Action app, by the way, the Action Network app, highly recommend. It tracks, of course, how a game is going and the win percentage of any bet. The spread, the Mm -hmm. total, and then, of course, the money line. We had it up on the Action app, and we were just going through, scrolling through as to what in the world was going on. When the score was 30-17 Cleveland with 155 to go in regulation, 99% chance to cover, and then even after the Jets score to make it 30-24, it was still in the high 80s, low 90s percentage-wise for the Browns to win this game. The Jets win, Jill, 31-30. Really uh, summed it up there, uh, Brandon. Just, uh, just a stunning ending to this game because if you just even were tracking the win probability just from that POV as a Browns better, if you had it on a parlay and even just from a spread standpoint, because it was around minus six where, you know, they're leading by six even after that Corey Davis touchdown. Because after the Corey Davis touchdown, still sitting there around 97% from a win probability standpoint. And then we see the onside kick. Jets improbably recover. As no Browns player decides to even jump on it, it's like they forgot that it's an onside kick play. Flacco just fires a strike to Garrett Wilson over the middle. Garrett Wilson, eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns today. Just unbelievable turn of events to actually win the game. ESPN stats, I tweeted this out right after the game. NFL teams leading by 13 points or more in the final two minutes of a game had won the last 2,229 games in a row. The last team. To blow such a lead, the Browns, in week nine of the 2001 season versus the Bears. So one of the things I wanted to ask you guys is, if I came up to you, I had my almanac, I'm in Back to the Future, I just showed up in my DeLorean, and I say, well, how do you think this game turned out? If Jacoby Brissett has an 81% completion percentage, Amari Cooper has 100 yards receiving and a touchdown, Nick Chubb rushes for three touchdowns, and Joe Flacco would have a 58% completion percentage, How do you think that outcome is going to happen? Like, what do you think is going to happen? It's probably going to be a Browns 20 point or more win. So for me at this point, to be able to say that and then see the final stat of 31 to 30, really the only winner is obviously the Jets, but Garrett Wilson, big winner, plus 360 touchdown today as a rookie. Very impressive, very impressive win by the Jets. Jets, one of the worst covering teams in the last half decade on the road. 32% 32% cover rate on the road, 12, 26, and one ATS. And uh, they decide to get win 13, lucky 13, uh, outright win over the Cleveland Browns on the road. Let's go to Washington and Detroit. The Lions nearly lioned. They nearly gave it back, Brandon Anderson. They do hold on, uh, even though the commanders made a valiant effort at the end. Three takeaways for this one. Two guys. Number one, Amon Ra St. Brown. We talked about him on the podcast in the preseason. That dude is everything that we said he could be. This is now eight straight games for him with at least eight receptions. Only the third player in NFL history to do that. 
He had nine catches, 116 yards and a pair of scores, 68 yards rushing. If you tailed us from our preseason podcast, we have him at 40 to one to lead the league in receptions and 80 to one in receiving yards. He looks awesome. Second takeaway, Aiden Hutchinson, our pick for defensive rookie of the year, three sacks in the first half. This dude was living in Washington's backfield. He looked fantastic, added two tackles for a loss. This is not just one game. Our numbers showed that like seven or eight sacks pretty much puts you very much in the mix for defensive rookie of the year. He's almost halfway there. So he's going to be the leader, but I think there's still going to be value on him when that one opens up again. Third thing, Lions overs, both directions. The Lions offense is real and it's spectacular. The Lions defense is the opposite of that. They keep scoring. They keep allowing points. This game had 800 plus yards of offense, seven passing touchdowns. The Lions have scored a touchdown 15 straight quarters. So keep taking the overs. These games are putting up big points. They've scored 35 or more both games. A trend that continues to deliver. The Colts absolutely sucking against the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> Since 2015, entering this game, the Colts one win against the spread in 14 total tries against the Jaguars. The Colts, without their star receiver today, Michael Pittman, the Colts get shut out in Jacksonville 24 to nothing. Jill Gallant, your takeaway on this game. Now, Brandon and I, we were talking uh, off air uh, before we came into the show and maybe had a little bit of a rough day betting. So I'm going to give him a little bit of an ego boost here. We're going to pick him up. Colts might not be good. <laughs> Just putting that out there. He put it out there a, lot, a while ago. I'm going to double down. I'm going to go with him because Matt Ryan is terrible. Three interceptions today. He was sacked five times, two of 10 on third down. And I think the Colts, like what we're seeing right now is almost like this revolving door of just deteriorating quarterbacks. Like we saw Phillip Rivers, then they trade him in to get Carson Wentz. Now we're seeing Matt Ryan. At this rate, we're just going to see Daniel Jones there next year, you know, and it's just going to keep going the five years from now. It'll just be like Nate Peterman or something like that. But uh, it just something we're just not used to seeing from the Colts, which is only three rushing first downs this whole game. Like with Jonathan Taylor, you saw some pretty crushing runs. You saw him lower his shoulder on one of the safeties, but that was just one of the three first downs he had the entire game. Uh, They were top five in that category last season, for example. Christian Kirk, though, really stood out. Two touchdowns. Mm -hmm. I think right now he might be one of the best bargains at wide receiver in the NFL. Obviously, I still think I'm with you, Brandon, about Amon Ross St. Brown. But uh, I will say, uh, feeling pretty good about my Doug Peterson coach of the year ticket right now at 16 to 1. And then also, Brandon, feeling probably pretty good about this Jags worst to first division kind of title bet. So uh, both looking pretty good after today's result of the Colts stinking it up again. Moving right along. Let's go to Tampa, New Orleans. Tampa wins and covers. They handled their business, Brandon Anderson. They did. Saints had five turnovers. Like my plan, this one was the under. It's 3-3 in the fourth quarter. Like you could just skip the game and you miss nothing but a lot of defense and and bad blocking and just not a lot of how you missed Mike Evans shoving Marshawn Lattimore and getting some ejections in there. That was fun. The Bucs, when they finally got the touchdown you mentioned, First Bucks touchdown in 118 minutes against the Saints. That is two minutes short of two full games against the Saints. And yet they won the game here and won comfortably. Look, the Bucks had 260 yards total in this game. They averaged 20 yards a drive. So Tampa Bay, 2-0. 
But this is not a team that is living up to what they're supposed to be right now. The Saints had five turnovers. That's why this game went how it did. This is not a Bucs team we can be feeling great about right now. They have basically won by default because the Cowboys and then the Saints just crapped the bed when they played them. But the Bucs offense has, has got to have some major concerns. Moving right along, Carolina, New York. This one, in terms of the line movement down the stretch, fascinating. Giants were a favorite, and then Carolina was a favorite. The Giants won the game 1960. I guess that's a cover. The Giants, speaking of 2-0 teams, the Giants are 2-0, as we mentioned, the Bucks, the Dolphins, and Kansas City from Thursday. But Jill Gallant, the, the Giants, they didn't need to go for two to, to seal this one, but they hold on to, to beat the Carolina Panthers in cover. Yeah, the 0-2 Panthers, that that doesn't really surprise me. The 2-0 Giants, that surprises me. That's the first time in six years that that's happened. But I think I could speak for a lot of people, unless you're a Giants fan, and I guarantee even if you were a Giants fan, you were sitting there wanting to pull your hair out. It is a very painful game to watch. Uh, Daniel Jones made just enough plays to win. Bellinger, pretty big touchdown scorer in that game, plus 450. But again, just not really a lot of offense to watch. I don't think we really take much away from this other than I just don't think the Panthers are very good, and I still don't think the Giants are really that good despite being 2-0. and Okay, last one from the 1 o'clock window. Patriots and Steelers. This was the surprise, right? We saw the look-ahead line last week. The Patriots are a favorite at Pittsburgh after Pittsburgh knocks off the Cincinnati Bengals. Granted, it was sloppy in overtime. Patriots win 17-14. They cover the spread. They, too, they they made just enough plays. And defensively, I think it was really a suck-bag quarterback matchup. Yeah, the offenses here just don't look great. The takeaway from this game is that you got to look for spots to fade both of these teams at this point. The, the defenses did fine, but I think this is just bad offense. The Steelers, in particular, three and a half yards of play. They had 243 yards of offense today. They had 267 last week. So both games, they can't even get close to 300 yards. I had this offense 30th in my offensive unit ranks coming to the season. Looks like that may have been generous the way things are going right now. Steelers play Thursday this week, short week, and then the extra half a week. Is that Kenny Pickett's music I'm starting to hear? That feels like maybe the time you start to bring him out there. It's not an easy schedule. I don't know. It's not working. The other takeaway here, don't get too excited about New England. They won the game, but they won by three against an offense doing nothing. This is ugly. These teams both look like teams that we're going to have to say, hey, look, I know what all the trends are with all these coaches, but the players just aren't good enough this year. Into the four o'clock window, Bengals, Cowboys, and this is why we go to Jill because this Cowboys got a victory. Dallas not only covers seven, they win the game in overtime 2017. They almost gave it away. Joe Burrow running for his life. The Bengals are 0-2. Cooper Rush, 2-0 as a starting quarterback, Jill. As you guys know, I am the Cowboys fan who maybe is more the glass half empty guy. I'm always kind of just, you know, woe is me. Like, oh, here it comes. Here comes the other foot. That kind of stuff. So 1916 win. Pretty much the game was almost melted. Had to kick like a 55-yarder. Again, that usually does not work out in our favor. Another double-digit loser from week one to cover the spread and went out right. What I really want, and if anybody is friends of friends of this guy, or, you know, I want to personally thank Cooper Rush. He has given me the greatest gift of all, which is that I could show my face in public with a Cowboys hat tomorrow and not be jeered. Now, I still get, you know, the chirps, whatever else that comes with just being a Cowboys fan. But man, it's a lot easier to swallow those when you're one and one as opposed to 0-2. To me, the biggest takeaway from this game was Cowboys defense is pretty good. Like they held the Bengals 
3.8 yards per play, uh, 3.6 yards per carry. Really shut down Joe Mixon. Only 199 passing yards to Joe Burrow. The Super Bowl hangover is real. Like, the trend continues. Like, the Bengals also, guys, they're the first team after losing the Super Bowl to go 0-2 the following season as favorites of seven points or more in those games. Like, so there is just something going on that's more than just, oh, well, they're not blocking well enough. Like, there's something kind of deeper going because this team is just too talented. And the fact that they're kind of blowing these games late, it may speak to coaching and Zach Taylor. Moving on to Arizona, Las Vegas. And this goes back to how I started the show. I saw Mark Davis in the hallway at the Mohegan Sun. And I said, uh-oh, what is going through that guy's <laughs> brain right now? I know he's, he's just, his, his WNBA team just won a championship. That's great. But what the hell happened to the Raiders? Big lead in this game. Arizona looks dead. Their defense really stinks. Kyler, they come out of nowhere. They win the game in overtime thanks to a defensive touchdown. As a five-and-a-half-point dog, cards win outright. Brandon Anderson, what do you unpack from what the hell we saw in Vegas? You buried the lead on this one because the the story here was a horrendous bad beat. If you bet the under here, this one closed at 51 and a half. So here, here's here's the setup. 51 and a half, eight minutes left in the game. It's 23 to seven, okay? That's 30 points. We are 22 points below the line. We can give up three touchdowns and still have an under if you've got that ticket. The Cardinals score a touchdown. They converted two, which by the way, was that play that you saw with Kyler Murray running around 20.8 seconds. Kyler Murray ran around 85 yards on a two point conversion on an untimed down and gets that one in. Then the Cardinals score another time on the last play of the game. Kyler running like crazy again, gets in again, and they get another two pointer to go to overtime. Even then they were still looking pretty good. And then all we need is a field goal for the Raiders. I'm feeling good. Like, give me the field goal. We had the Raiders look ahead two and a half. So you could still cover that way. And then you get Renfro pushing for more yards. Isaiah Simmons comes up with a huge hit and Byron Murphy scoop and score 62 yard walk-off touchdown, six points. We get to 52 total. We go over the 51 and a half. If you're on the under, I'm so sorry. That is a horrendous beat. Just a huge collapse and honestly, a meaningful one. The Raiders and the Bengals are 0-2 in a loaded AFC. Those were playoff teams last year. They played each other in the first round. They're both in real trouble now. The Cardinals went from disaster with eight minutes left. They're awful in week one, awful for almost all of week two. They're tied for the division lead now. The NFC is wide open. The Cardinals are right there. I honestly think they might have saved Cliff Kingsbury's job, depending on where things were headed. So you never know how this stuff goes. This was not a great way to get a win. They got the job done. Kyler still scrambling somewhere out there, running through my brain, getting the ball over the goal line. Seattle's San Fran was a snoozer if you just look at the score. But we find out the catastrophic injury to Trey Lance. His season is now over. Per multiple reports, Jimmy Garoppolo checks in. Jimmy G, as it turns out, it was... Very smart of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan to, to give this guy the money and keep him on board. And wow, Jimmy getting showered with love. The Niners suddenly look really good again. They look like those Niners. They're just like, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, like you're annoying in January. But man, you do stuff pretty well when you're healthy. 27-7, your final numbers out there, nine and a half. Saw some eight and a half, some nines. The Niners get there. that They cover this spread uh, rather handedly. Jill. What's your takeaway here? I would imagine it's probably more big picture because Jimmy Garoppolo subbing in looked pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, 18 to 1 right now at, uh, to win the Super Bowl at FanDuel, plus 850 to win the NFC. Uh, I mean, really, the only takeaway is I think everybody just collectively their heart breaks for Trey Lance. Like, like I mean, I'm the guy who immediately is the one who's like, ah, my bet. Like, as soon as, it, you know, you see the injury. But, you know, you feel kind of bad, you know, 10 minutes later when you actually think about it and realize that's a person. And I just feel really bad for him of everything that happened, especially because it was a pretty routine rush play. Like, it didn't look like anything at the moment. Like, it looked like he was trying to get back up, and it was just a tough replay to watch. And then Jimmy, you know, he comes in, and the 49ers offense starts clicking again. Now, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, you just take that monsoon game aside, but just it looked like the 49ers again. And, and I, I think as well, poetic justice, man, that he ran in for a touchdown because – you know, the entire offseason, they can't wait to get rid of him. He gets signs a new contract, no trade clause. There's no third string quarterback on the sideline, by the way. So he's putting his body on the line for a rushing touchdown. Uh, and Brandon, my uh, just my condolences overall, just not a good day for uh, NDSU alumni. No, a tough weekend for my Bison. We, bison lose in Arizona on Saturday night and then a rough day for Carson Wentz, rougher day for Trey Lance. Uh, best of Trey Lance, but uh, moving on to Atlanta and the Rams. Oh, man, if you had the Rams, you're feeling great. Rams are going to cover 10. This is easy. Bounce back spot. McVay doesn't lose back-to-back games. First time he's under 500 ever. Sean McVay ever. Not Folks, not just a season. Like, record-wise, McVay has never been below 500 ever. Starts 0-1 with the loss in week one to Buffalo. Atlanta covers the 10. Rams do win the game 31-27. Brandon Anderson, there was a safety at the end of this game. It didn't matter. You, you still were losing the the cover. The, the Falcons almost won this game. They did, but in some ways, this was still a blowout, too. The, the Falcons almost won, but also never really actually had a chance to win. It's, it's a very strange game. Falcons go down 28-3. to Very familiar score for Atlanta uh-huh. fans. We almost went the other direction on this one. We had a play. We had a play from the 50, one Hail Mary but not even a Hail Mary because we fumbled. Here's how drives ended in this game. You know, obviously we got some touchdowns. We have a drive that ends in a missed field goal, a turnover and downs, interception, interception, interception. That's all in the first half. We have a block punt touchdown. We have a fumble lost, another interception, a safety, another fumble lost. These are the plays that ended drives in one game. Like this weird game, the Falcons look like one of those you know, sneaky backdoor cover sort of teams. That's not very good, but going to keep fighting. Kind of remind me of the Lions from a year ago. Uh, My takeaway from Atlanta is this. Drake London, the rookie, eight catches, 86 yards and a score. He had five for 74 last week. He, I think, is the value for rookie of the year right now. Haven't seen the market reopen yet for the night. He was 10 to one going into the day. It's going to be shorter because that's a nice game for him. It's not a huge game, but... He fits, if you listen back or read the Rookie of the Year article I wrote, we want a guy who is a top 12 draft pick in all likelihood, and we want a quarterback if there is one, but there's not really one in this class. Drake London is one of those few receivers at the top. He's getting a huge target percentage and a lot of chances at big receptions. He's going to be the guy, I think, especially Reese Hall, the running back we thought would be big, not getting a lot of snaps for the Jets, so... I think London Rookie of the Year is a spot that you might want to look at moving forward. This next one, Jill, I think Jill's looking forward to talking about this game. Um, <laughs> Houston, Denver. Denver uh, wins the game 16-9, but Houston covers plus 10. Jill, your thoughts on this Denver offense? It is not quite cooking with the new quarterback. Yeah, I'm done with that. I, can we just retire? <laughs> 
let Russ cook. Like I hate that saying now. He is the most frustrating quarterback to watch. 14 for 31, 220 yards. He did cash at plus 155 interception, if that's your thing, which kind of is mine. But 32 (laughs) points combined from the Broncos through two games. Nathaniel Hackett, just get out. Like, I'm done with this. Like, this is my, like, analogy just, like, with what I'm watching right now with Russell Wilson is that it'd be like going to, like, you know, a five-star restaurant. You got a Michelin chef, and Russell Wilson's the the Michelin chef. And he says, I'm going to make this amazing meal for you. Brings out just this burnt-ass strip loin you know, piss warm glass, a $2 red wine. And you're just like, here you go. Look what I put together. And it's like, this is awful. Like this is not even close to what was being told that I was getting when I was coming to this restaurant. It's just a horrible combo. It hurts my head. And I feel like I'm hungover from red wine right now. Watching that game. I I do not want to watch another Broncos offensive snap for the rest of the season. If I can help it. And the only reason the Broncos aren't 0-2 is because the Texans offense is equally and just even worse and anemic at best. I think uh, we let Russell Wilson cook and he made us one of those frozen pizza games we talked about last week. Did you have a burnt steak tonight for supper? No, I know the frozen pizza though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, there's work to be done with the Denver Broncos. Lastly, Chicago Green Bay, the game that closed out before we uh, went live. Packers, they get there. The, 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 The Packers, Aaron Rodgers trends. Awful loss week one. That comes through again, but more so against this Bears team. Very, very good record uh, for Aaron Rodgers against the Bears now, and it just continues. 27-10, your finals of the Packers cover 10. Packers get there. They ran the ball effectively. Aaron Jones was good in this game. Yeah, glad we got this one through. All three of us on the Friday podcast were on the Packers here, so hopefully you tailed us big on this one. This is it. This is who the Packers were. This is who they wanted to be. This is the script for the Packers. They ran 25 more plays than the Bears. They had 15 more first downs. They had almost 200 extra yards, 14 more minutes with the ball, 38 rushes, 203 yards, great defense. Justin Fields completed seven passes this game. The Bears ran 41 plays, you guys. 41. Teams run 41 plays and a half sometimes. The Bears ran and actually like were decently effective with their 41 plays. You can't score a lot of points if you only have the ball for 40 plays. So this was outside of a little tiny heart attack when Justin Fields tried to get the ball over the goal line late, and the refs helped us with a little couple reviews to keep our cover intact. Other than that, this was a nice, easy Sunday night watch. This is what the Packers want to be. Aaron Rodgers now 22-7 and ATS, 24-5 and straight up against the Bears. In his career, Rodgers has now won and covered his last seven against Chicago. Okay, so those are your 13 games from Sunday. Two Monday night games to preview now. We'll go one by one. So we'll start with Tennessee and Buffalo. That is your 7-15 Eastern start. Tennessee is a 10-point dog. Last year, the Titans beat the Bills. Uh, Bills, a freaking heavy favorite in this game, too. Minus 460 over on the FanDuel Sportsbook on the money line. Totals at 47 and a half. We'll go Brandon Anderson first, and then Jill. What's your read on Bills-Titans? Yeah, the Titans have won each of the last two years against the Bills. Both times in October, I think both times on primetime. Derrick Henry, five touchdowns in those two games. The Buffalo Bills have built their team with a very specific style of play. They want to pass the ball. They want to defend the pass. Every player that they have, that is how they have built this roster on purpose 
sacrificing at times the run game and the run defense because they want to be all about the pass and it works. It's modern. It's, it's 2022. This is how football goes. The Tennessee Titans have not gotten that memo. The Tennessee Titans don't follow those rules. And I think it's a rough matchup for Buffalo because of that. We don't know yet necessarily what version of Derrick Henry is in there. Maybe it's just gone. And then this game could get away quickly. I know if you're listening, you probably think that's what's happening. Okay. What happened week one? Well, the Titans were terrible. They didn't show up at all. The Bills ran the Rams off the field. This seems like a slam dunk. It's why we're at a 10-point favorite. One game ago, they were the one seed. And I realize that you can't just go on that argument. But I think the Bills really should be like a touchdown favorite here. We're getting two or three points of overreaction value from week one. And Mike Vrabel, as an underdog, has been a monster. He's 18-11 against the spread as an underdog. But here's the, here's the crazy number. You throw out the coin flips. Rabel has been weirdly bad in these three-point or less coin flip type games. When he is at least a three-point underdog with the Titans, he is 18-6 and six against the spread, covers 75% of the time. And in those games, as more than a three-point dog, his Titans are 17-7 and seven straight up. Wow. If you just bet those games on the Titans straight up, his ROI for the Titans is 110%. So you are making bank if you are betting Titans as bigger underdogs. Vrabel's team has an underdog formula. The way you play underdog football is you run the ball, you dominate the clock, you shorten the game, you keep Josh Allen over on the sideline. He's 2-0 against Buffalo in those spots. He's 9-2 the last two years as a three-point underdog or longer. So I think that you have to play the Titans here. The value is on the number. I'll take Titans plus 10. I'll take the upset special. Titans at plus 360 on the money line. The numbers say Mike Vrabel's team is undervalued here. And I think they're going to hang around the longer that they hang around. We've seen how dangerous Derrick Henry gets late. Titans have a real shot here. I would imagine, Jill, if you have similar thoughts, you, you might be eyeing the touchdown market uh, with the Titans. And it might. I think their quarterback jumps out to you too on, in this market. Yeah, sitting at plus 650 right now at FanDuel, and he has scored in both of those said matchups that Brandon was referring to. Now, I will say both of those games were in Tennessee. I'm not sure how much of more of an edge, but really because of the Tennessee Titans offense, like you're seeing right now, Derrick Henry at record low or high prices, depending on how you view it. But the fact that you're getting his touchdown odds, you know, somewhere in the range of minus 105 to about plus 110, he was not plus money at all last year. It was around minus 160 uh, going into that game against the Bills, for example. He was around minus 180. He scored three touchdowns in that game. So right now, Tannehill at plus 650 is standing out because they love to use Henry as the decoy. And both of those times he ran it in from less than five yards basically with the defense shifting over to stop Derrick Henry. Now, the other side of the ball, kind of like Isaiah McKenzie, because reports are coming out that Gabe Davis, even if he does play, probably going to be limited, probably going to be on a pitch count. That just means everybody's going to be moving up. Isaiah McKenzie caught a touchdown last week out of the slot. I think that's probably one of the ways that you can attack uh, the Titans defense. So Isaiah McKenzie, you know, I've seen him at prices around like plus 300, plus 350. That would be kind of the guy that I'm considering. And maybe Jameis Crowder, if you're really thinking of a Bills long shot, maybe in the plus 400 range. Excellent. Very good. And the other Monday night game, Philadelphia and Minnesota Vikings visiting the Eagles. This game starts a little after at 830 Eastern time. Vikings are two and a half point underdogs. You can get them at plus 116 at FanDuel on the money line. Total sits at 50 and a half. 
Two teams that are 1-0. and Brandon Anderson, what is the read you have on this game? This is a fun one. I'm a Vikings fan, so I'm obviously heavily invested emotionally in this game. Vikings and Eagles don't like each other. They had the NFC Championship game a few years back, and it's been contentious since then. These are pretty different teams, different coaches and everything, but we'll see. You know, it's a, it's a big early statement spot for the two big popular sleepers in the NFC. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get, you know, a few of those veterans have a little rumblings between them. I think this is a game you've got to be a little careful with because we like a lot of what we saw about both these teams in week one, but it's only one game so far. And we don't necessarily know for sure what we're getting. I feel a little better right now about Minnesota that Kevin O'Connell offense looked really good. Justin Jefferson, we thought they'd move him around the field. I think I saw something like 60% of his targets in week one were being covered by linebackers or safeties. You don't want your linebacker and safety covering Justin Jefferson. It's not going to go well for you. We saw it not go well for Green Bay last week. And I think the key here is that offense looks very solid. Sirianni's offense, uh, it looked a little bit gimmicky still. Jalen Hurts running the ball. A.J. Brown was good, but the passing offense is not nearly as open and as dangerous, I think, as Minnesota's looks. And if you look at, okay, what do we know from week one? Well, we know the Eagles played the Lions. Their defense wasn't good. The Lions have scored also now today, so we don't know exactly what to read in that. But the Vikings allowed seven points to the Packers. We just saw tonight exactly how good the Packers look when they played well, and the Vikings' defense totally took that away. I know the Packers' line wasn't healthy, Again, it's not all apples to apples, but the Vikings had the more impressive offense and the more impressive defense in week one. I think at best, you think of this as a coin flip in Philadelphia's favor just because of the home team. So if anything, I'm going to lean Vikings just because I think we're getting two and a half free points here and what ought to be a coin flip. I might play a little. I might also just wait and play live. I think that Right now, these teams are still so new and fresh. That extra quarter or two of data you get before you make your bet could be very valuable in this matchup. So I think if you get a read on the matchup live, don't be afraid to go for it before it gets too far. And uh, I think it's going to be a really good one. Jill, what angles here? Touchdowns? What what might you be looking at here for Vikings-Eagles? I think uh, Brandon hit it on the head here with it's kind of like a styles make fights kind of thing. And, yep. you know, you're watching the Eagles and they're very much a run first offense, whereas, you know, the Vikings are probably going to lean a little bit more on the pass, even though they do have a decent running back named Dalvin Cook. You may have heard of that guy. <laughs> um, but because of that, I'm looking at KJ Osborne right now, sitting at plus 360 at FanDuel to score a touchdown, mainly just because when you look at the snap counts from last week against the Packers, only three wide receivers even saw the field, and it was Jefferson, Thielen, and uh, and Osborne. Osborne still played 76% of the snaps, but just the fact that, you know, you're looking at both the Slay and Bradbury matchups, maybe even Hassan Reddick might end up getting assigned onto Thielen if he's playing out of the slot every once in a while. Um, I think right now, K.J. Osborne, I think, probably is the one who could still be capable of scoring. So right now, those odds, I think, are right in the sweet spot. On the other side, because of the run-first offense, I'm actually looking at Kenneth Gainwell right now at three to one, uh, mainly because of if the fact that the Vikings do, you know, strike first with their offense and they're going to be leading. Miles Sanders is just not going to see the field anymore after that. You're just going to see a lot more up-tempo pass catching back, and that's Gainwell's role in this offense. So I think those are the two that are standing out to me right now for that matchup. Very good. Great <laughs> insight for Monday Night Football. Two games. You get two games in week two, Monday Night Football. 
Good stuff, guys. It's time now to take a look at NFL Week 3 lines. So we're going to dust off the old Peyton here and kick off the hot read. Hot rock! Blue 17! Nice right! Ice cream! Jose! Blue the Raiders! 19! 19! Louisville Soul Train! In this segment, our guys are going to discuss any spreads they're already targeting six days in advance, or in some cases, as we've done on this show, on this podcast, we have looked ahead to Thursday night, including the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, who covered two and a half. Brandon Anderson, nice work, covering two and a half against the Chargers last Thursday night. As always, this isn't so much analysis of a matchup. It's the likelihood of a potential line shift before kickoff. So uh, with that being said, we're going to go to Jill first on the look ahead line this week. What do you got, Jill? Yeah, the two games that immediately stood out to me, Kansas City minus six and a half versus the Colts. I mean, you listen to me just rant on about how bad the Colts are. I think that's going to get forgot, minus- I forgot how much you hated the Colts because of how much you hated Russell Wilson. But- well, especially <laughs> well, especially just because of I <laughs> I have the Colts to have the number one seed in the AFC. So look at me just being completely embarrassed again by the Colts sitting there right now at six and a half point ohm dogs. They're going to probably close around seven and a half because of how public the Chiefs team is. There's a likelihood maybe that Pittman doesn't return for week three. Same thing with Shaq Leonard. If those guys are out and the injuries continue to pile up for the Colts, I mean, potentially you could see this line climb up to maybe even eight. I just don't think this line is going down. It's only going to go up at this point. And then the other one, 49ers and the Broncos. 49ers sitting there right now as two and a half point underdogs. I really don't understand that because I think Kittle is going to come back for week three. I think they were going to play him if it was maybe a playoff game, but they had to hold him out for a little bit longer. Right now, this line makes no sense to me. I'd be hammering 49ers money line right now if I could get it. Awesome. Brandon Anderson, look ahead for week three. Yeah, I got one for you. We're going to do the Bengals. And if you read my look ahead column from Friday before the weekend games, I recommended the Bengals then. They were minus six. I thought the Bengals would get a nice, big, comfortable win over the Cowboys today and jump on the other side of that key number. Didn't happen. Didn't work out for me. We gave away some value. That doesn't happen much on the look ahead. I'm doubling down. I'm going back to the Bengals. We are now at minus four and a half. I still think the Bengals ought to be more than a touchdown favorite, just like I expected the number to get to before that. The Cowboys defense was good. We know the thing happens with backup quarterbacks. We come out the first quarter or two and tend to overperform a little bit. The other team has overlooked you. What happened against the Cowboys was in many ways predictable. I didn't predict it. I'm not taking credit for it, but it is predictable looking back at it. The Jets are not the Cowboys. The Jets are Joe Flacco. The Jets are not good. The Bengals are not necessarily going to be this world-beating Super Bowl trip team, but they're not a terrible team either. This week going in, week three, is a kitchen sink week. you got a team that is 0-2, and there are only a few. We've got a lot of one-on-one teams right now, but the Bengals are 0-2, like you said, Jill, not common at all for a Super Bowl loser to start 0-2 the next year. If you are 0-2, historically, you put out everything to go make sure you don't fall to 0-3. Here's a couple of quick numbers for you. 0-2 teams that made the playoffs the previous season, not a lot of them, but they are 11-6 against the spread since 2003. So covering by 5.1 there. So that favors the Bengals. Also, 0-2 teams in week three that are playing not 0-2 teams are 45-29-1 against the spread since 2010. So that's a 61% cover rate. 
it's too soon to jump off the Bengals bandwagon. This team has Joe Burrow, they have Jamar Chase, they have T. Higgins, and the Jets don't have guys that can cover those fellas. So the Bengals next week are going to be fine. We'll see about long term. Short term, it's still the Jets. I'll still take the Bengals. I'll double down and grab them again at four and a half. That's going to do it for us, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. This episode, of course, our week two betting recap. Also, our Monday night football look ahead. Two games coming up tonight. And then also, of course, our hot read. For Joe Gallant, Brandon Anderson, Brendan Glasheen, we will join you all again next Sunday night, Monday morning. Thanks so much again to listening to the Action Network podcast. We'll see you.